So welcome to everyone to our container shipping sector panel. Container shipping is one of the major segments of uh, the maritime uh, uh, sector, and uh, we are delighted to have with us today executives, senior executives from five major container shipping companies. The container sector has been receiving a lot of interest, um, especially lately. And uh, I'm delighted that James Monaghan from uh, City is going to moderate this panel. So all I wanted to do is say thank you to everybody for being with us. And I'm turning it over to James to take over and uh, introduce the panelists and kick off the discussion. Thank you, Nicholas, and good morning, and thank you everyone for being here. Uh, as Nicholas mentioned, I'm James Monaghan from City. This morning we have with us Jerry Carlos, CEO of Capital Product Partners, Angelos Jesus from Danaus Corporation, Aristides Pitas from Eurocees and Eurodrive, George Yorokos, Executive Chairman of Global Ship Lease, uh, and Constantine Back uh, from CEO of MPC Container Ships. So the topic du jour, as Nicholas alluded to, is definitely container shipping within Maritime. And one topic that comes up frequently is, at least from an RC, is actually the relationship between time charter rates and box rates. And then actually seeing the recent surge, particularly in trans-Pacific trans box rates, I think investors are particularly curious about what that actually means in terms of time charter rates and the outlook there. So actually, I think that's as good a place as any to start the panel. So with that, I'd like to actually just sort of get your particular takes on how you're thinking about the time charter market and actually what sort of the implication of what you're seeing in box rates plays into that. And I think maybe the best place to start would be with Vangelis and we'll just go through the panel from there. Yes, and uh, good morning to everyone. Thanks for the question. Um, there's no necessary correlation between uh, box rates and uh, charter rates. We have certainly seen in the past, uh, in, in certain instances, a, a disconnect. You may have box rates going up and uh, charter rates going down. Uh, if, for example, you have liner companies uh, cutting back on capacity uh, to address uh, issues with demand, uh, which means that uh, charter rates are uh, going down because demand for ships is not what it was before. Uh, this may result in box rates firming up, right? Because uh, removal of capacity for the liners part uh, helps box rates uh, be at healthy levels. So obviously in a, in a market where uh, demand is booming and uh, everything is, is rosy, you have, you should expect both charter rates and box rates to go up. Uh, but all I'm trying to say is that there's no, there's no you know, necessary correlation uh, between the two. Uh, the market today uh, is pretty strong. We've seen charter rates uh, move up uh, considerably, uh, especially on the larger sizes. We've seen increases to the tune of almost, you know, up to 100% from where such charter rates were during the pandemic. And... Uh, this is a result of an increase in volumes transported for a number of reasons. Call it restocking or uh, stocking for the holiday season and all these things. Uh, and, uh, you know, we do expect 
a softening uh, towards the end of Q4, which is expected as a result of seasonality. But all in all, the market is very healthy. And what, what's most important is that our customers, the liner companies, have managed um, uh, to eff effectively and efficiently manage capacity. They removed uh, capacity from the market. They canceled sailings in order to address the effect of the uh, pandemic. And they've managed uh, to keep box rates at very healthy levels, if not in some instances, going up. So that's my feedback on your question. Understood. Uh, George? Well, I would agree partially with Mr. Hadzi's opinion, uh, although I have a little bit of a different opinion with respect to how charter rates affect, uh, or freight rates affect charter rates. Uh, obviously, when your client is making money, you want that to happen so that you can make money in a very simple layman's terms. Now, when the liner companies make a shitload of money like they do now, this is not just adjustments, this is uh, I think a completely different picture than we have been used to. And this different picture has been revealed or let's say found during the COVID days, uh, I believe either by a very good accident. I mean, charter, charters were cutting down capacity, which means they were cutting down expenses uh, in their preparation for the storm of COVID. Something that I think that all, all companies like ours has done also. They've been re-delivering ships left, right, and center as soon as ships were coming back to their end of charters. And they were not chartering back any ship until they would see what, what's, what's in the cards for them for the future. That's the, in the middle of the COVID crisis. That dramatically reduced capacity for the first time, I think, in quite a few years, which made charter, uh, freight rates go through the roof. I think they are the highest level ever. Uh, recorded uh, freight rates, for instance, from uh, Paris to the United States, at least that I remember. Now, when liner companies make so much money, uh, and I think that the reduced uh, or let's say control of capacity, it's not something that happened and it's going to go away. I think it's here to stay when liner companies have realized that uh, fighting each other. Uh, for the market share has uh, so far only produced losses and now this strategy of restraining uh, themselves from uh, overordering ships and uh, supplying a lot of uh, overcapacity gave them profits. I think that this is uh, what we will see. Actually, UBS analysts uh, on three, uh, the three major Japanese uh, liner companies, K-Liner, MSK and NYK, has uh, identified this uh, thing I'm saying specifically that we're probably looking at a reformed uh, liner industry going forward into their strategy of uh, deployment. So I would say that uh, if we have a situation like that, uh, that's my differentiation from Mr. Hadzi's opinion, uh, otherwise I agree, is when we have a situation like that where the liner companies are making a lot of money and the freight, rate, freight rates are at that's such high levels and looking to be for the short to medium term possibly sustainable if the restriction of capacity continues and given the fact that the order book is uh, at the lowest level over the last 40 years uh, i would say that that is going to drive the market it is driving the market as we speak uh, 
quite high and uh, quite strongly high. That's my view on this. Thank you. Uh, Constantine? Yes, uh, without repeating uh, some of the things my, uh, my colleagues have said here, um, I would like to add that, that I, I also agree with most of what, what has been said. And I would like to add that in the end, it's a mix between freight rates and, and volumes and demand increasing, um, and at the same time, supply-demand balance. And that's, uh, George has alluded to that to some extent, um, looking at the order book looking at uh, how tight supply and demand is uh, at present and that the order book is, is not significant. Um, and demand growth, um, provided we see no further disruption, uh, a disruptive event like COVID or, or trade war, what we've ob observed over the last two years, I am personally also of the opinion that solid freight rates are certainly the basis for solid charter rates. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's more to it than just the freight rates. It's also the the outlook and the, the willingness to commit for, uh, for tonnage um, in a tighter market. An interesting effect, I think, on the charter side is usually end of September, early October, prior to Golden Week in China, you see a softening in market activity and also rates. This year, um, this has not been the case. Actually, the opposite is the case. We, we are seeing continuous uh, strengthening of, uh, um, of charter rates. Um, and, and a solid activity. And I think that is at least a, a positive indicator for, for charter rates going forward. Um, and I would, I would leave it there for the moment to, uh, uh, to allow others to, to contribute as well. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I think maybe what we can do to further, uh, as we think through this, like it seems like there's a bit of a difference of opinion in terms of what's actually kind of driving it uh, more so, is it just necessarily demand uh, uh, driving the rates versus currently versus maybe previously it was a bit more of a con liner controlling capacity uh, previously. And so sort of like the higher rates have sort of seemingly changed across probably the course of the year. And so I guess that sort of naturally sort of puts forward like what does it necessarily mean for time charter rates moving forward uh, given the like shifting reasons why box rates were increasing, right? That seems to be a theme across the first three answers. So just in that context of maybe what is the outlook for time charter rates are going forward, maybe you could comment on the, uh, the market right now, Jerry. So I think I do agree with my fellow panelists. I think it's a mix, uh, a mix of things. Obviously profitability uh, is uh, very important when it comes to um, liners being able to pay up. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think it's uh, expectations with regard to forward market uh, are equally important. And what we have seen over the last few months is that we have seen charter rates uh, pick up across um, uh, all segments. Uh, but uh, we have seen also at the same time reluctance from the liner side to commit uh, to long-term charters. Um, and there, there is also the side of the owners. I will come to that in a moment. But I think as um, rates um, start, uh, start soaring, like uh, we see today, I think liners uh, will be forced uh, to consider long-term charters. So I think that would be the, the way if you want to control the, the rise of, um, of rates. Uh, I don't see suddenly the container market becoming uh, a spot market like the Cape market, for example. Um, I'm sure that the liners love the flexibility, but at the same time, this is a different business. It's more logistics oriented. 
So people want to be able to lock in SIPs uh, uh, and have the visibility. So uh, what I'm expecting that, uh, that is going to happen, and I think it's happening already, is that we will see liners now being forced uh, to offer longer term period. And of course, that the definition of that changes, for example, for a post-Panamax SIP that could be anywhere between three to seven years, for a Panamax uh, that would be more like anywhere between six months to, to 24. Um, again, um, there you would see um, liners differentiate because post-Panamax uh, vessels and above are strategic assets. Uh, they want to be able uh, to know uh, what uh, they have in hand, while with uh, smaller sizes, uh, it's more to cover immediate needs and uh, there you want to have more flexibility um, in case, for example, you have, um, uh, again, uh, uh, weaker demand because of increased lockdowns across uh, uh, the economy uh, because of second wave of COVID or whatnot. So uh, I think we are probably close, close to the end of the charter rate hikes. Maybe there's some more room to go for smaller, smaller sizes, but probably we're going to see more, uh, more period. And at the same time, I think owners will be more willing to fix compared to a few months back. I think there were certain liners that were willing to give you a long-term um, long business uh, three, four months ago, but that would be against a very low rate, which wouldn't make sense for the owners. Now that rates have uh, moved up, I think certain owners can actually make money and would be also willing to lock them uh, for a longer period. Understood, thank you. Ercis, do you have anything to add? Well, uh, I don't want to, to, to be repeating uh, everybody. One, one thing I want to state here is that uh, indeed uh, the liner companies have been making huge profits and especially with the advent of the alliances over the last few years, uh, that has really reduced the number of uh, players that one can charter his ships to, to, uh, to, to a very big extent. Uh, this has finally been understood by the liner companies and uh, they have started to somehow cooperate on, on, uh, on this and not seeking market share anymore, exactly, uh, uh, aiming for profitability. This has caught the eye of uh, authorities that uh, are starting to look at uh, anti-competition uh, behavior and, uh, and therefore uh, we should expect some changes uh, there. However, uh, as has been said by the others, the profitability of uh, the liners trickles down definitely to the profitability of the charter providers and uh, the increased demand that we have seen and it's very difficult to say if this will continue or not uh, as has been said, uh, we are seeing demand increase day by day over the last three, four months. Um, has led to significantly higher charter rates. And we have uh, an idle fleet of less than 2%, which is along the lowest that it has ever been, implying that uh, we should be looking at uh, relatively good markets uh, across all sizes, especially on the bigger vessels. There's nothing really opening up, open up right now and opening up soon. So I think it's a very tight market and everything will depend on the demand and how the second wave of COVID uh, affects the world economy. Understood. Actually, to follow up on a point that uh, Jerry brought up, 
So basically, it sounds like the strength in the market, at least in time charter, is starting to move towards the point where you're getting more term on the contracts. And you also can get basically a stronger bid for smaller vessels. But focusing first on the term that you're seeing, where are you in that process in terms of negotiations with customers? Is this something that might play out over like six months and possibly more and be sort of a story of like 2021 where you're getting more term to these, your new time charters? Or is this something that actually will be quicker and might actually sort of be something that happens across the back end of the year and sort of contracts reset? I think maybe Jerry, if you could just elaborate on your answer and maybe Evangelos, if you could uh, follow up on that. Sure, uh, I think this this comes relatively fast. Um, it's uh, you know uh, it's a question of um, uh, of how quickly liners are going to react uh, in terms of uh, the soaring rates. I think we are already seeing indications of that. Um, um, you know, um, there is up to a point that uh, people will be willing to pay up. So that's then the negotiation. Can I give you term instead of uh, a higher rate? Um, I think over the next uh, two, three months, and always assuming that um, we remain in the same environment because there is an immense uncertainty, um, I think, with regard to demand, uh, we will see more period deals uh, emerging. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain. So I think it's more of a uh, thing happening now rather than in uh, a few months. From now. I'm sorry, but I missed the question because I got disconnected. Would you be so kind to... Yeah, no problem. Basically, one of the things that Jerry had highlighted during his answer was that rates had basically moved up on larger vessels to a, a place where essentially, or as much as they realistically could in such a short period of time, the negotiations are starting to become more focused on getting term on for time charters. And so where are you, where are you in that process with your customers and sort of how long does it take to play out? Essentially, is this more like a next, like two to, or next two quarters idea? Or is this something that actually will play out across most of 2021. That's a good point Jerry raised and uh, you know, however I think this is going to come into play um, as soon as the cloud, the COVID cloud sort of is lift, starts to be lifted, right? Because there is still a lot of uncertainty in the system and um, on the potential effects of a third or a fourth wave or what have you. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that until the vaccine is out or we somehow get back to a new normal, I wouldn't expect people to uh, commit to periods of three to seven years that Jerry mentioned previously, I think. Um, so, you know, getting one or two years, even up to three, even at this point, it's feasible. We have done such transactions and especially on the bigger ships, uh, it's doable, but moving towards five or seven years, I think it's a different uh, ballgame. Got it. Actually, maybe it makes sense to focus a bit more on sort of the COVID risks and the outlook for the first half of next year. So um, maybe maybe Constantine and Aristides, if you could comment on sort of what you're sort of seeing and viewing in terms of your conversations with customers around uh, the duration of sort of the near-term demand, whether sort of the demand that side of this equation uh, or end market demand side of this equation is something your customers are sort of confident in and willing to sort of commit to at the moment. 
Sure, I can I can start Aristides. Um, obviously, the recent run is, is certainly also to some extent attributable to uh, restocking um, and, and some sort of catch up effect. That's uh, that's clear. However, there's there's in my view and then also from the discussions we're, we're having more to it than just a catch up effect. We we have seen shift in trading pattern, basically diversification of supply chains uh, that will certainly increase intra regional trade. Uh, and hence also ton mile demand in my view, which, which will in itself create additional uh, demand also for tonnage. Um, and, and we have also seen, uh, for example, some reverse cascading on some of the intra-Asian intra trades in particular, where we have seen not new trade lanes being opened up. Um, th those are some effects that are, I would say more sustainable than, than the pure um, catch-up and, and restocking. In general, the outlook for next year um, in terms of, of demand growth is, is positive. China is, is showing very kind of strong um, um, export figures. Um, and, and obviously this is all subject to another disruption, right? I mean, we have seen a basically a prolonged disruption due to trade war. Um, then um, end of last year, early this year, the signs were quite positive. Then we had COVID. So as long as you know the demand side, and, and I personally expect the demand side to grow 2021 um, and at the same time we have very moderate uh, supply growth that we will see a, a continuous positive development um, in terms of box volumes um, and consequently also uh, time charter rates. So I think the the COVID effect, uh, yes, there's some catch up, but there's also some more, let's say, trading pattern related effects to it that will going forward increase uh, the demand side um, and will, will be positive for, for container trade. Yes, let me let me quickly add that uh, as long as uh, it's it's extremely difficult to predict what will happen in the future and how COVID will develop and how trade wars will develop or if we will have any any other incident, but all of us we rely on analysts about what the economy is going to be doing, and the consensus amongst uh, you know analysts about the economy. Uh, are all that it's going to be a very good year in 2021. Uh, the IMF just came out expecting uh, about a 5% uh, GDP growth uh, worldwide. Um, Clarkson still expects a 5.9% uh, growth in demand next year. All these are very good figures and if they happen, and this is what the consensus is at this point, uh, point uh, towards a uh, very positive uh, developments in the market. And so, so I can't add more to that, uh, but uh, I wanted to say one thing about the, the duration of uh, charters. The duration of charters uh, becomes bigger when, when the, the spot charter or the shorter period charter costs more than the longer term charter. So that's when it becomes interesting for the liners. If they have, if they can pay less, uh, they will pay. They will offer a bigger period than the spot market. And also from the from the charter providers, they will only do longer periods when the rates are at levels that make them a profit. So as spot rates have been increasing it's natural that duration will be increasing as well. So we will see that, of course, uh, smaller ships uh, duration increases when it reaches a year, 
bigger ships, you have to go to seven years to consider it the long duration. It depends on the size of the vessel. But we are starting to see that because the rates are high. Charter rates are high today and some people fix for longer durations at slightly lower figures than they would do for a shorter term. Understood. So it does seem as if a lot of what you're being, be, is being pointed to is sort of a seemingly underlying strength and growth, uh, at least in the near term, and the idea that that has some momentum. And then also, as Constantine pointed out, some new trading patterns emerging as well. But earlier in the year, one of the things that came up was definitely, or what I should have defined the market earlier in the year was liner discipline, right? And so how does essentially in a growing market, the fact of liner discipline sort of play into time charter rates moving forward? Should we expect sort of a lower level of capacity growth and maybe more uh, charter rate growth or just any ideas and just your thoughts generally. I think it probably makes sense to start with George and then maybe Constantine can follow on. Okay, uh, it's very difficult to know what the line of companies will do. Um, and actually, if you ask any one of them, I would imagine that they don't even know themselves because it's a matter of competition. But I can give you a simple math which can, can speak volumes on what the possibilities are, because this is about possibilities and uh, common sense, really. Let's take as an average size vessel, a 5,000-day-year ship. Uh, a 5,000-day-year ship post-Panama, so a wide beam, let's call it, a ship that has a lot of uh, cargo carrying capacity. Such a vessel can take easily 4,500-day-years for containers today. The, the rate for this ship, for this box, today, the box rate is, uh, is about 3,900. One way from uh, China to the US. So if you assume also a return cargo from US to, to China, the total round voyage, which lasts about 45 days, would be making the liner company close to $20 million. That's income minus fuel, minus charter rate. Now you can put any charter rate you want. I mean, today is about $20,000, $22,000 for such a vessel. Maybe tomorrow it's twenty-five, maybe it's not. But as you can see, on a 45 days, $5,000 into the charter rate, it's $225,000 additional cost per round voyage for the liner company, whether they pay 20 or they pay 25,000 a day. That's the difference. When you're looking at every round voyage making anything between, call it, I would say conservatively, you know, 12 to 20 million dollars, depends on the capacity of the ship, depends on how, because when you talk about bigger ships like 9,000, these numbers go, you know, to 30 million, 25, 30 million per round voyage. So it's all about how much money the land company is going to make on each round voyage. Many times when they fix a ship for like a year, and if you calculate how much is the year charter rate costing to them, so if you multiply, let's say, today's 22,000 times 365 days, it's about $8 million, uh, it's $8 million of, uh, of charter hire. As you can see, that charter hire, the year's charter hire, can be made in one round voyage today. So 
And assuming that the ship can take in a year nine round voyages, eight to nine round voyages, depending on the speed of the service and so on and so forth, you can imagine that as we speak today, what the, the earnings of learning companies can be today, it's enough to amortize a year's charter in one round voyage, and then the rest is profit, depending, of course, what the, the freight rate will be. So we have to think of this calculation, making assumptions about the future. I don't really know if the liner companies will continue to have this discipline to continue to make these stellar returns, but I would imagine uh, that it's it's common if common sense uh, you know prevails, they should keep their, their this this strategy that brought these amazing returns. That's my take on the on this. I cannot give more than that than facts. Okay, let me let me add maybe a, a, a bit of a different perspective to it without uh, uh, disagreeing to to what George said. I, I think that. The, Flexibility, I mean, this year has shown for liner companies that flexibility is extremely important. Um, and and the, the capacity management as a tool, as, as an active tool to uh, reduce cost and um, um, has been a very critical one. Um, and that allowed liners to, to respond in the way they have responded um, um, to, to the downturn and the effects of, of COVID. At the same time, Obviously, uh, the alliances uh, got more stable and, and their coordination got uh, certainly more efficient um, and operators have, have obviously returned a lot of uh, TC incapacity um, to quick, quickly adjust to, to the trading profile. So um, I think this will remain a key ingredient for liners going forward, both in discussions among the alliances um, as well as individually. And I personally think this will, will certainly be a a factor, um, obviously always subject to supply and demand to some extent, but um, to the extent they can maintain flexibility, this will be uh, a tool of choice um, going forward and a very important um, um, ingredient. And that will also affect, in my view, um, periods um, on the chartering side. Um, there will be period charters available, but flexibility will always be uh, the other side of the medal when they decide to go longer on certain vessel types and vessel sizes. Got it. So I guess the question then becomes, you know, like how far are we away from a point where uh, new buildings pick up and sort of there are some capacity additions to the market, given that it seems like even if the liners are disciplined, they will still want to essentially expand in some sense and think, Maybe it makes sense for Jerry to, Jerry to comment and then Evangelos to follow up. Today's, uh, today's order book is definitely one of the lowest the industry has seen, um, around uh, 8%. Um, but uh, also, of course, we have to take into account that we live in, an, in a different world in terms of uh, global uh, GDP and uh, global trade growth. Um, the order books of the past of the 50 and 40 and 30 percent, they were also commensurate to much higher rates of, uh, of growth. Um, but um, having said that, what we experience today um, is uh, probably uh, a point uh, which uh, is um, uh, quite interesting from the supply side as 
you also have a large chunk of the fleet um, uh, that is uh, getting uh, quickly much older. So about 20% of the fleet above 3,000 EU is uh, older than 20 years of age. Uh, on, uh, on average, you would expect uh, those ships uh, to be demolished within a year or two uh, from passing that, uh, that mark uh, in a normal market. So, um, there, so there is uh, quite a bit of attrition, a natural attrition uh, of, uh, of the fleet. We saw this year, uh, which was also remarkable because of COVID, uh, we had quite a bit of slippage, so we on, only saw um, less than 2% of growth. Um, analysts for next year expect about 3% of uh, growth. These are very, very manageable, I think, uh, numbers. Uh, if we assume that we have the V-safe recovery that we are seeing today. Uh, but, um, and what has kept uh, people away from shipyards uh, has been a combination of things. Uh, obviously, COVID uncertainty has been one. Um, new building prices at the beginning of, the, of uh, 2020 were um, lower than average, but um, they weren't especially enticing. Uh, and at the same time, you have the big issue of uh, propulsion uh, that uh, weighed uh, on many decisions. I think, if anything, today uncertainty hasn't abated uh, for COVID. I think there's still uh, a lot of that. Of course, we have a more profitable industry, as we discussed. The charter rates have recovered, but uh, it's not easy to make a call on new builds. Uh, and the propulsion issue, if anything, has become um, uh, more important as you see different voices in the industry that not only uh, agree with um, uh, more um, environmentally friendly ships, but, but want an acceleration of this process uh, compared to what the IMO has uh, set out to do. However, I do think that in the end, uh, it is still uh, a very open and competitive market. It's a question of uh, demand and supply, and at one at the price, uh, it clears. So, as shipyards become uh, more hungry, they um, they haven't many of them they haven't taken orders for some time, especially for larger ships uh, like uh, containers. Uh, we will see, and we have already seen, uh, new building prices come down. At some point, uh, we will also see. Uh, people venturing uh, toward the new builds as they do believe that the entry point uh, uh, makes up for the uncertainty as well as uh, for the other uh, factors that affect decision making. But all in all, I think it's going to be much more difficult and the kind of order book that we see today uh, is not going to, to inflate uh, um, going forward in an unsustainable way. It's going to be the uncertainty, the lack of capital, the lack of, uh, of uh, clarity with regard to propulsion, all that is going to be quite, um, uh, uh, will make it quite difficult for people to move on. Yeah, um, I think that uh, Jerry uh, pointed out the main elements. I'd like to add that obviously we're in a very good place with where the order book is right now. Um, and, uh, you know, Orders will have to be placed at some point. COVID uncertainty is one thing, but technology is a very big issue right now. Uh, you don't want to spend 100 million to build and build a ship or 150 million to build a, a big container ship and discover 10 years down the road that it's technologically redundant. Uh, so uh, the other thing also, of course, is price and cost, right? Because 
even if you have new technologies uh, coming up, uh, you know, you, you're going to have to weigh uh, the cost benefit versus acquiring a second hand chip, for example. There is a big gap between the acquisition of a 10,000 TU ship today, uh, 10 year old ship versus building one. And one would expect that with uh, charter rates and demand being in a good place, uh, one should expect to see second-hand prices increasing. And then at some point, it's going to start making sense again to build new ships. Because uh, at this point, it doesn't make much sense. You're way better off acquiring a relatively modern second-hand container ship. Um, and you'll get much better returns. So I think at some point orders will be placed. It's, gonna, it's not going to come before the, the second half of 2021, uh, depending also on technology and uh, propulsion solutions that are environmentally friendly. And as a result, uh, we are quite bullish on uh, you know, the next two to three years uh, on charter rates remaining firm, exactly because you're not going to see significant uh, tonnage hitting the water before <clears throat> 2023 or 2024, where, which is when new orders would be start to be delivered if placed next year. Got it. Follow up on that around the secondhand values and potentially seeing a bid for a secondhand tonnage. Is that something that's actually already out there in the market and you're actually seeing more interest in, or expressing more interest in actually getting secondhand values uh, or buying secondhand tonnage and sort of what the outlook for maybe the S&P market really is uh, over the next 12 months, given the fact that the order book's going to be a bit constrained and you're seeing demand. I think we have only a couple minutes left, but I'd love to hear from uh, George and Aristides on this. Yes. Uh, right now, secondhand prices still make sense for an investment. What I would say as a general rule, and I've seen that a lot in dry bulk in 2014, uh, when the new build price makes more sense than the second hand value, so people say it's, it's, uh, it's much cheaper to build a ship than to buy a second hand ship, in traditional shipping, that's the time to stay away from the market in uh, investments. Because that's the time when you will start to see the first clouds in the horizon uh, of overordering and oversupply. That's my personal view. So I, I am not a, I'm not a believer of new buildings uh, in this market, in this uh, situation, uh, especially given the technological challenges. I don't think anybody has the answer to that. So I would say that for, for us, we are only focused on secondhand ships uh, for the foreseeable future. Thank you. Yes, I, I, I would agree uh, with George that still uh, second-hand prices are significantly lower than, uh, than those uh, for the corresponding new vessels. So uh, you could, but on the other hand, we are already seeing, especially on the small and feeder vessels that we are looking at, we, we, we are seeing uh, an increase in interest and uh, a few transactions happening and uh, prices increasing 
However, we agree that it still makes sense uh, at this point in time to, to be buying ships that had ships that had been become too too cheap. Uh, we have been through a process of 10 years where the, the, the market hasn't really been good at any point in time. And uh, this has discouraged a lot of people from buying ships and prices have dropped and they are significantly uh, below uh, the new building parity uh, ships. So yes, for now it's still secondhand ships and uh, new buildings are, are not only much more expensive, but nobody knows if they will be used uh, after 10 or 15 years. So we see uh, good dynamics there for uh, people owning ships at this point in time. Got it. Well, thank you very, we are at time. So thank you very much for everyone. Um, and thank you for your time. And with that, I'll just hand it back over. All I want to say is thank you. Very interesting panel, great discussion. And uh, thank you to everybody for, for being with us today. I appreciate it. And thank you, James, for the uh, expert moderation. And thank you to each one of you. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Take care.